House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. I imagine you already know that you're listening to a brand new episode of Capital Ideas. Welcome and thanks because it wouldn't exist without you. This is the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Usually those are ideas behind different pieces of legislation. Sometimes those ideas originate with the lawmaker, but just as often, and maybe more, they come from citizens who see a situation they'd like to be different, and they bring those ideas to the Capitol. They can lead to good policies, policies that make lives better here in Washington, and when they do, we're liable to talk about them right here. Our guest today on Capital Ideas is Representative Greg Nance of Bainbridge Island. Greg was appointed to fill a position vacated when his predecessor, Drew Hansen, moved over from the House to the State Senate. This is Greg's first session working for his neighbors in the 23rd District, and as you'll hear, he brings fresh energy and a number of good ideas of his own to Olympia. We talked on Tuesday, January 9th, day two of the 2024 legislative session, and here's what we said. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Greg Nance from the 23rd Legislative District. That's essentially Kitsap County, and it's great to have you here. For the very first time, you've been a representative for, what, four or five days now? (laughs) It's day two of session, and it's a pleasure to join you here on the show. We're going to talk about who you are and how you got here and where you think you're going in terms of serving the people of your district and and the state as a whole. Let me give you a chance to do kind of a quick bio of yourself here. You were appointed to fill a vacant position here, so this is your first time as a state lawmaker. You and I haven't met except one time, and I would love to hear your story. Yeah, I, I want to start it off by saying that I am the luckiest guy. Uh, born and raised in Kitsap, a hardworking public service family. My mom's a social worker. Dad is a uh, longtime public defender. And so really just had parents that deeply cared and then a community that really, really cared. Great teachers, great coaches, great faith leaders. And all of that together is I had every opportunity. And I thought that, hey, every kid must have it like me. And it was only as I got a little bit older, I you know, finished my uh, K-12 public school education on Bainbridge Island and go off to college where I realized this is not everyone's upbringing. Not everyone is so fortunate to have such excellent public school, such an excellent community and great teachers and a loving, warm, supportive family the way I did. And that was really my uh, uh, my awakening. And I uh, realized I want to be um, – I've had so many privileges and so much good fortune I want to pay it forward in some small way. And that was my kind of origin as a nonprofit leader. And so much of, I think, my journey to today really goes back to 2008 and starting a a college access nonprofit for my dorm room with four of my best friends and getting to build that organization throughout the rest of college. And then over the last 15 years has really taught me so much about how 
ordinary people that just bring some energy and enthusiasm make change. And that is part of what I love as a new representative is getting to see that change in my community and helping to accelerate it, amplify it, do whatever I can to support it because that's how change really happens. That's the kind of energy that this building needs, and I wish you the best of luck. Talk a little bit about your nonprofit experience. I know that uh, for the most part we need to talk about things that have what they call a legislative nexus, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we can't go into a little bit about your your life before. And uh, I'm real interested, is it called Money Wise? Close, Money Think. Money Think. Yeah, so... In the wake of the financial uh, crisis, the credit crisis back in 2008, you know, Main Street is hurting, and I'm a runner. I would run around Hyde Park, Chicago, where I was a student, and I saw all of these boarded-up uh, buildings, these uh, cash loan on car titles, um, and you just you run this, and you realize there are a lot of people hurting here. And the the part that really broke my heart was seeing kids about my age on a street corner, not going to school, not working, just kind of hanging. Um, and that was really uh, tough to see. We wanted to, to actually address that. And we, we realized, hey, one of the missing ingredients here is is mentorship, someone that's guiding you and sees your potential and is there to encourage you. And so our, our big idea was with the right tools, the right resources at the right time, you have a great chance to take that next step in your life. And that uh, we you know, did a lot of really good work on the ground, starting in Chicago and then expanding actually to 30 communities uh, across the United States, including uh, here in Seattle. And so by building that step by step by step, we also then realized how important policy is. Um, we were doing a lot of great work on the grassroots level and in community, um, so much so that you know, President Obama invites our team to the White House and recognizes us back in 2012. You know, wow, high watermark, amazing. And yet we feel like we're going backwards. You know, we realize policy is so important to create the conditions. And it's really been amazing to see Washington take the lead with a then Representative Hansen really beating the drum for better college access. And it's, it's a super honor for me to take his former seat uh, representing the 23rd because of all the fantastic work that you know he's done there and now that he aims to do in the Senate. It sounds like some people would, would say, gee, this guy led a charmed life. What it is really, it sounds like a good life with many opportunities. But in real life, it doesn't really work that way. People have problems in their lives. And I know that, that uh, you encountered a situation that caused a big change in your life. Um, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. One of my, um, the real blessings of my childhood is I was raised in part by my grandfather, Grandpa Charlie, who is this wonderful larger than life character for all of us. And he was a Marine who fought at Iwo Jima and with only a 10th grade education becomes this pretty incredible business leader for, uh, uh, for what would become AT&T. And just amazing person, so much character, and really the adult that I think really best understood me and that I could most closely relate to. Uh, we would watch Mariner games, watch documentaries, talk about anything, most anything and everything. And uh, my life really changed when I was 16 when I um, go to wake Grandpa Charlie for breakfast like usual. Something is wrong. And uh, Grandpa Charlie has suffered the first of uh, a series of very debilitating strokes. And... Um, I felt in that moment so powerless to be there for Grandpa Charlie the way that he had always been there for me, whatever I needed. And in the wake of that powerlessness, I felt just an overwhelming sense of depression. 
uh, felt the super anxiety about what what awful thing is going to happen to our family next. And like a lot of young people, didn't have the emotional maturity to really navigate that in a healthy way. And in short order, I began making a series of unhealthy choices, including um, self-medicating with alcohol, with malt liquor, and then with vodka, and in short order, uh, with painkillers, with uh, stolen Percocet and Vicodin from uh, friends' parents' medicine cabinets. And it's it's one of those uh, kind of doom loops where the more that you become accustomed to this, the more literal chemical dependency begins forming. And then, you know, the psychological fixation with all of it, where uh, for a number of years, I wouldn't feel myself unless I was drinking. And that from you know, age 16 to 23 really was just in the thick of that. And a uh, almost a, a parallel uh, life where on one level, I'm a pretty good student and a pretty good athlete and building a nonprofit that's, you know, earning these accolades. And in the same breath, I'm really struggling with this too and that duality really tore me up inside because it feels like hey i'm not living with any integrity i feel isolated and alone about all this and part of that journey is what has really inspired me in this next act uh, to join the state house where seeing uh, my now seatmate tara simmons share some of her story on the capitol steps on martin luther king day 2020 I realized that, wow, like her superpower is the fact that she has been through all of this and she's come out the other side. It gives her a totally different lens and perspective on all of this. Like, man, maybe I could do some of that too because I'm passionate about youth mental health in part because I needed people looking out for me to help me get through my stuff. I want to be one of those adults for kids and youth today. And man, as a lawmaker, like you have so much influence over so much of this, including just amplifying young voices and kids going through tough stuff today need us adults to hear from them and to to empower them to share that story and to give them the resources they need and so for me that uh those roadblocks and obstacles um you know on one level i was you know so deep shame and embarrassment around it but i realize now that look way more of us go through tough stuff than you ever think when you're 16 or 18 or 20 and when we're real about the stuff we go through we're able to connect in a totally different way and actually start to understand a lot of our neighbors are going through stuff. Let's be there for people that need it when they need it. And I think creating more compassionate policy is also far more effective policy because we get the root challenges and the root causes as opposed to just the window dressing. You are in the right place to have an effect on on how things work. Uh, and you're fortunate to be part of the majority party here as a Democrat in a you know, it's generally regarded as a blue state, um, and I wish you the best. Thank you. I want to talk about some of the bills you're sponsoring right now. I know that as a brand-new lawmaker, uh, you haven't had time to lay out 15 of your top priorities, but you do have some bills that you are the prime sponsor of that are likely to see some action this mm-hmm. year, even though it is a short 60-day session. They have to do with the environment, with public education, with child care, and with opioid and fentanyl mm. prevention. And each of these is something that people throughout the state identify as key concerns. Mm. In no particular order, why don't you talk about the bills that you're sponsoring, or at least one or two, and what you hope to accomplish? Yeah. The, the first thing uh, I want to say on all this is that we have... Uh, an enormous series of headwinds that we face in Washington, just like folks across the country. 
And I think we have so much of the right ingredients and the right special sauce right here in Washington to actually work through all of this. Um, one of the challenges we see firsthand uh, traveling around Kitsap, you hear all about the cost of living. Um, every one of us is feeling the squeeze. Inflation makes it even harder, uh, rising uh, rising prices across the board. And I think we, uh, as as folks in government, got to work at it. However we can work together to, to get to, again, some of those root causes is really, really important. One of those that I hear from small business uh, owners, from bigger manufacturers in Kitsap, that I hear from young parents, grandparents, um, teenagers, is the lack of child care. Um, it's a huge issue in Kitsap. It's a huge issue across Washington, across the country. And part of that is we've made it really hard to actually open a child care facility. We've made it difficult, even if you have a heart for this and you want to help, to actually help. And so I'm eager to join on with colleagues on both sides of the aisle, Democrats, Republicans, Independents. This affects everybody and work for solutions. The bill that I'm actually going to be uh, presenting on today is to clarify um, the working child care credit, a uh, subsidy for working class families. Um, in a little bit of the, uh, the statutory language, there's a little bit of a lack of clarity that means that a lot of people that are actually eligible for a subsidy aren't getting it right now. And so Part of my principle here is we got to make government work as well as we can, find efficiencies, and help the people we desire to help. And clearly, we've got to help working-class families with childcare, help folks get into the labor market, get a good job, and take care of their family. And right now, this is a I think this is low-hanging fruit. And so, I'm going to be presenting for the first time ever today. I think around one thirty or two. So, but right before our, our session, I'm, I'm jotting notes, trying to get prepped. And luckily, uh, you know, I can speak from personal experience on this, as many of us in Washington can, because I'm watching my big sister who has two little girls, and it's so challenging to find any level of care, let alone someone where you feel safe, you feel like your kids are learning and, and, and loved on and supported. That's really, really, really important, and we got to do a better job. And and it starts right here, right now. And I hope this is one. Uh, you know, there is no silver bullet with childcare, but this is silver buckshot. To one more element that we can bring forward to uh, to help families. You live in one of the most beautiful counties in Washington. I agree. Just the natural wonders in, in Kitsap County, shorelines, um, forests. It's, it's a wonderful place. And one of the bills that you're sponsoring has to do with habitat recovery. Mm. This is a pilot program that exists, and I know that what you're interested in seems to be improving it. Yeah, I, uh, I have the great honor. I'm on the Hood Canal Coordinating Council. It's a salmon recovery group. And one of the elements that I've learned kind of firsthand is how complicated uh, permitting is, even for ecologically driven projects. And in this particular case, riparian habitat. So think of like the shoreline. There's a lot of really important environmental elements that make for a healthy shoreline to take care of our salmon, to take care of our wildlife. And the permitting process to restore these riparian habitats, um, there's a bunch of uh, hoops you got to jump through. And, you know, each of them well-intentioned, you know, I think thoughtful. The way that the law currently works, you basically have to jump through one hoop and then you got to jump through another and another and another. Instead of being able to just jump through each of the loops 
uh, each of the hoops kind of simultaneously is how I think about it. So think of uh, doing this concurrently so that we save all of the lag time in between permitting applications. And truthfully, I, I want to work across the aisle with anyone and everyone for permitting reform. I think there's a lot of places where we can actually simplify how we get a decision that, again, honors our environment, but also honors the groups trying to make things happen, trying to build affordable homes, trying to repair our environment, trying to build uh, strong public transit networks. Um, permitting is uh, all well-intentioned and all thoughtfully designed for the era in which it was instituted. We're in a new era with new challenges, and we, we need our permitting to really speak to that. And so this is a uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife um, uh, request along with our Northwest Indian Fishing Commission with a lot of tribal support. Uh, the governor's office is, is eager about it, and I'm, I'm honored that I get to play a small role in sponsoring it and then uh, presenting it and pitching it to colleagues. And I, I think it's a place where we're going to get some strong bipartisan uh, support to make it happen. I think you might get bipartisan support as well, although maybe some pushback too, because that tends to occur anytime drugs come up. Mm. Uh, and I know that one of the things that you are trying to accomplish is to reduce the use of opioids and fentanyl mm. by people who, who don't need it for medicinal purposes. How would this work? You know, ever since Nancy Reagan said, just say no, mm. uh, and even before that, a lot of well-meaning programs to encourage people not to take recreational drugs have been ridiculed and and essentially have been failures. Mm. How would your program approach this to maybe keep some people from uh, experimenting with drugs that can kill them so easily? Yeah. So, yeah, beautifully said. And it's an enormous challenge that our community faces. Um, And it's, you know, fentanyl in particular is, is a challenge that whether you're in a big city like Seattle or Tacoma or Spokane, um, you're out in the countryside um, or you're on a reservation. Fentanyl is in our communities and it's killing our neighbors. Um, one pill can kill. It's unlike you know, smoking some marijuana, drinking some alcohol. It's one pill can kill. And it's, the kind, it's so potent, so powerful that even people that don't realize they're taking it or are not taking it, they're just exposed to it, can literally overdose. Um, that is how – uh, powerful this is and how potentially fatal it can be. Unlike a number of, of other drugs, we also have a very powerful antidote for someone that is in the act of overdosing, someone who will die without intervention. We have a tool at our disposal that can actually help help revive them, help them to save their life. Uh, it's a rare case where we actually have a magic wand here to help this person. And this bill is all about helping um, our institutions of higher learning, our universities, our community colleges, having them have naloxone and Narcan, this magical antidote that actually saves someone's life right there accessible in the places where a student may be overdosing. And so imagine you're on the fifth floor of your dorm and you realize your roommate isn't, is breathing really shallowly or you can't feel you know, a pulse, so faint a pulse. You realize they, they're overdosing. You can easily administer naloxone and Narcan right there and you can save your friend's life. Um, and so this is all about making that more accessible um, and providing the, the funding to actually make that accessible for a lot of colleges that are, you know, have really a tight uh, finances and budgets this, this cycle. And then part of this too is 
the actual education and awareness around this because um, when you're an 18 or 19 year old you can be impressionable I certainly was and if your friends are doing something you can get into it I I, I want young people to have the facts before they make these choices and when you realize hey one pill can kill and I don't know who manufactured this I don't you know I have no idea what's actually in this. It can kill me. It can kill you. And I think it's really, really important that we get that overdose. Uh, we get that information and education out to warn folks of the real danger here that's totally different than smoking some marijuana or drinking some alcohol. This is a fundamentally different category. It can kill you doing it the first time. And also critically important, this is a place where I will work to get as much support as we can. We also need to provide this life-saving antidote to as many folks as we can because everyone deserves a second chance, particularly um, those those folks that have taken a pill that is now going to, to, to kill them, to end their life unless we help to revive them. And we have the tools and the power to do so at less than $40 a dose. And so for me, um, we've got to find the funding from our opiate settlement dollars to, to help pay for this, and we got to do the right thing. I think it's a moral obligation. This seems like a good year to approach that. It's a year when the legislature is going to be writing and passing a supplemental operating budget, tweaking what was done last year when this was not a bill. And I will follow this carefully to see where it goes. I've had you here for quite a while. I know that uh, you and the other 146 lawmakers on this campus have a whole lot of things to do. I will let you go here, Greg, but I really want to say thank you very much. It's been a very interesting conversation, and I would like to maybe follow up with you in a couple of months, and we'll see how this looks when you look back at it from the other end of the session. Dan, I so appreciate the conversation, the opportunity, and all you do to help tell stories and make government more accessible. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, that puts a cap on this edition of Capital Ideas, and I hope you enjoyed meeting Representative Greg Nance. I also hope you're a subscriber to Capital Ideas, but if not, you can become one over at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, this is your state, and the more you know about what's going on in your state capital and who the people are that are working for you, the better you can make this whole thing work for you and the people you care about. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back. We'll be back.